Well, hello and welcome to episode 205 of The Cool Room, an opportunity for us to sit down and have a great chat with the team from Escape Brewing uh, here in the Victorian uh, Mornington Peninsula area. Really looking forward to sharing that chat with you. Good fun, lots of insights, uh, and really always uh, great to sit down with a new emerging brewery and hear about their plans, some of the trials and tribulations, but also the excitement that they have for the brewery that they're starting. Um, so really hoping you'll sit around and stick around and listen to that uh, that great chat. Coming up, Mr Warren Wu away this week. So our friend Corey subbing in for him. And thank you, Corey, for stepping up to the plate on that one. Always good fun to have some extra insights from some of our cool rumens joining us uh, in the Zoom room on a Thursday night. Uh, and also, if you want to make the most of this podcast, make sure that you've got the tasting pack in your fridge and even better, in a glass next to you while you're listening to the episode. Just $39 for this six-pack, some great fun beers. Jump onto our Shopify and uh, make sure you have that one. Um, Some really nice beers, as you'll hear, some interesting styles. uh, And if you're learning about the world of craft beer, if you want to learn about some of the different styles that are out there, this is a really good opportunity to do it because we really get down into the nitty-gritty about some of those styles. Uh, I also want to give another shout-out to uh, the Williamstown Beer and Cider Festival. We are out there a couple of days ago as I record this intro. Uh, had an awesome time, so thank you to Shane and the team uh, for organising that for us. Look, not just great because it was uh, really fun beers, not just great because it was full of uh, great breweries willing to talk to us, not just great because it was full of all of you folks coming along and being there in the flesh, but extra great because it was the first time that our T-shirts were being worn in public. And if you'd want to make sure that you've got one of those T-shirts, we're about to do a second run of those. So all sizes will be available again, uh, men's and women's and hoodies, uh, all available on our Shopify. Jump over and grab that. And while you're there, you can grab the beers for our next two online shows. Really, really looking forward to these. Uh, going to be joined in a few days' time by Maddock Brewing, uh, Australia's champion small brewery. Never had them on the show before. Uh, for people, especially in Victoria, you may not have seen those beers in your fridges. Um, grab the opportunity to get them from our online store while we've got them down here and fresh and tasty. And talk about fresh and tasty, we have the amazing Adroit Theory from the US of A joining us again in December. Uh, anyone who knows this brewery who might have heard them before when we were teaming up with Carwin to bring them to you during the COVID lockdowns here, uh, then you will know that the beers that they produce are amazing. They break the boundaries of convention really genuinely. Uh, Big, flavoursome things. Amazing can art. Uh, Not many of those packs left in our store. Grab them while you can. And then Come and join us at the end of the year. It's sort of turning into a tradition, which means it's the second time we've done it. We're going to go out to Hawkers uh, on the 29th of December. It could be great stuff. Maz, as everyone in Melbourne and much further abroad, I'm sure, would know, Maz is one of the great characters of craft beer in Australia. Uh, never short of opinions, never short of ideas, never short of insights, and we're going to get together. Uh, hopefully by that stage you'll be a bit sick of your family and wanting to hang out with your mates again. So come and join us out there on the 29th of December, and that's going to be our end-of-year celebration. 
Okay, look, let's get underway with Escape. Let's get over into the Zoom room and hear from the team from Escape Brewing. Well, here we are. It's Thursday night. We're in the Zoom room. Public Transport has finally delivered me home again on the mighty 402 bus from the castle, formerly the Edinburgh Castle Hotel in North Melbourne, to sunny Kensington, where my, at the moment, co-host, Corey Boardman, is going to be uh, in as well. So we're at opposite ends of Kensington. Magnificent night for drinking. The blackbirds are singing. The sun is out. The sky is blue. Brother Corey, how are you? I'm very good now. I've got this lovely beer in front of me, but we don't want to preempt too much. It, it is drinking weather. It, it is drinking on, weather. On my Thursday night in thirty thirty one. It is absolutely drinking weather. And um, look, we obviously are missing our good friend Mr. Warren Wu tonight, but uh, you're doing a good impersonation of him. Other than the fact that you haven't drunk all of the first beer that we'll be enjoying tonight, which is going to be the Bavarian, the Munich style lager. And to discuss that with us and to lead us through the entire night, we're really excited to be joined by Escape Brewing tonight. We knew we were having Russell Matthews, Managing Director, on. We're joined by Nicole Matthews as well. Um, as is the cool room tradition, we're going to get the guys to introduce each other. Uh, Russell, perhaps you can tell us... Actually, no, we're going to do it the other way around. Nicole, can you tell us where you first met Russell, what you reckon his favourite non-escape beer is... And, um, well, you know, just a little bit about the background of uh, his involvement in this, in this wonderful scheme of escape brewing. Okay. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, Nicole Matthews. Um, so, first time I met Russ was, um, <laughs> funny story, at a um, hens and bucks night. I was at a hens, he was at a bucks, um, hooked up at a, a pub in Chapel Street somewhere, I believe. So, and went and had some beers afterwards, funnily enough. I think they were my first beers that I'd, that I'd had at the time. So, um, yeah, that was, that was where we met. Um, were, you, were you, were the hens and bucks nights aligned to an actual wedding or different venues? No, different, different, uh, different weddings. A friend and his brothers, uh, took a few weeks for a date to happen because of all of those busy weddings and everything happening. And uh, were you at Rev's? I was down on Chapel Street delivering beer today. Shout out to Carl. Thank you for the Narwhal uh, order. Caught the train out to Sunny Paran. Different part of the world. So was it Rev's or a different venue that you were at that night? Frostbites? It's the one next door to the Frostbites, I think. Yeah, too long. Yeah. Too um, long ago. The, I was, yes, 20th wedding anniversary a few months ago, so too long ago to remember. I think the fact you couldn't quite remember if it was Chapel Street or not sort of is an indication as to what your night was like. <laughs> yes, yes. And Nicole, do you want to nominate for Russell what his favourite non-escape beer is? We yeah, love this. this is an opportunity to bury him a little bit, so, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Two Brothers uh, Payday, Pale Ale, would be uh, one of his favourites. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I know there's been many a, many a time that he's been down to their place as well and uh, enjoyed it uh, at the venue. Um, yeah, that's not a burying. Corona is a burying. So <laughs> I used to work around the corner from there years ago, so I, I did visit there a fair bit. Yeah. Well, there might be a little bit to explore there as we go on about where some of the inspiration came from. 
Russell, same sort of question back to you. Like, do you remember which venue it was that you met Nicole in? What was what was that moment like? And you know, when you took her somewhere else for a beer, where well, was it? Well, yeah, the, fun, the funniest one was it was it was on definitely on Chapel Street. Um, yeah. I can't remember the Imperial. Is that on? Yes. Is that still there? Imperial, yeah, yeah. yeah. Imperial. So it was the back of the Imperial Hotel, and all I remember is she drank my beer, which was I don't know whether that was a good thing or a bad thing, but. And then afterwards, I learnt that she didn't really drink beer, but she just wanted to drink it and take it out of there somewhere. So we went, I think, went to wherever the next stop was after that. But yeah, um, down to the Hungry Jacks on the corner of Commercial Road, I imagine. You know? And I've got to say, it was a place with five letters, big place uh, in the city where the Brownlows held. <laughs> There's a little bit of money there too. Five letters or six letters? Five. Crown. Oh, crown. Oh, I was going casino. It's okay. We're both <laughs> on the same page. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So um, that's yeah. That's where we went to after that. And yeah, uh, as, as we say in the roles in the business, the I do the brewing and she does everything else. Is what she tells me. So. Now, so, see, the first question I've got written down is. You know, welcome to the show, Russell. You've got yourself listed as managing director on your signature block for your emails, and yet you've just told me you do the brewing and Nicole does all the real work. Um, yeah, how well, does the managing director thing work? Well, isn't that the idea? Once you get to that level, you just you just delegate. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, although I, I seem to get a lot of delegation as well, so it, it's up, down, and sideways. I think. So give us a bit of an idea about what you both do there. Obviously, brewing, like how many are in the team? Is it just you guys? How does it all, how does it all work? Yes, yeah, it's, it's largely just us. Um, we have obviously help in the tap room when we're running the tap room. Um, but in the brewing side and the sales side and operations and all that delivery, we basically do the lot at this point. So um, as we grow, it'd be nice to bring some more people on. But um, it's sort of been such a hot, cold environment in the last, you know, well, we opened uh, at the end of COVID, so and we we were had our lease before COVID, and we had um, we spent the whole time. We actually got a lease in the February of 2020, which was really bad timing. Yeah, it doesn't get much worse than that. No, so we we signed up a lease and then went bang, and then COVID hit, and we were like, well, what do we do? We waited a few months, and what should have taken six months to get open ended up taking about two years. So um, yeah, so we yeah, it was like we've been open for two years, but we've we've basically been on the roll for always five, something like that. Now, we always sort of joke that we have our Norwegian listeners. We love our Norwegian listeners, but very genuinely, Thailand is currently sitting second in the November uh, listeners beating UK, US, Canada, all these other sort So for people from Thailand, can you paint a bit of a picture about where the brewery is? Give us a bit of the flavour and the colour, and obviously we can see because we're on Zoom with you, but give us a bit of a feeling for what the venue is like as well. Mm. Um, so we're located, so from Melbourne, we're located in the Mornington Peninsula, which is south of Melbourne, about uh, probably about 50 k's from the CBD. Um, the Mornington Peninsula is largely a very seasonal area, but it's, it, I think it increases from about 150,000 population to like a million or something over the Christmas period. And that, so a massive number of people come down in, in that time. Um, but really picturesque. It's got beaches on, we've got beaches basically 5k's, 10k's each side of us. Um, and everything from surf beaches and rocky other reefs to Port Phillip Bay on the other side. Um, yeah, so we're literally at the end of the end of the, the Morning Peninsula Freeway at the roundabout. We're basically just five minutes from there. Um, 
and anybody who knows Bunnings at the end of it, we're just behind Bunnings. So every, nobody knows we're off Boneyo Road, but nobody knows that. They all say, you say Bunnings, you go, oh, I don't know where that Bunnings is. So. so set in an industrial estate. So as you can see, like behind us, so we've um, got two adjoining factories where concrete walls, in fact, one early customer who was a painter um, was absolutely, you know, do not paint those walls, uh, that, that sort of, you know, look. And I think you can see probably on the shot as well, um, some of the the really cool copper work that our plumber has done as well. You know, everybody sort of loves that that look. We've sort of married up with um, some prints uh, and photographs of some of the local peninsula spots as mm. well. Yeah, so yeah. Two, it's two fairly big factories, like two uh, 300 square metres each. Uh, we've got about 80, odd, 80 to 100 seats in, on the taproom side and the other side is the brewery which is basically just there. And then we've, luckily, the good thing about these two factories, which is one of the reasons we looked a long time to try and find them, so that was years before COVID, um, was that we, it's got a removable wall between them, which you're on Zoom, you can see that. But yeah, there's a removable wall so you can sit on the taproom side and see all the equipment where it's just made sort of 10 metres away over there. And Corey, and, and am I right in remembering that you have been to the venue? Were you the one who suggested to us on Facebook that, we should get these guys on because you're a prolific suggester, uh, Dave. You are a hundred percent wrong. Ah, well, there you go. It's good to kick off with my failings, and I won't edit that out. Just so that <laughs> um, I genuinely. I was just going to ask. So, Capital Sound is like Rosebud and a little bit more. Is that right? Yeah, Capital Sound's the old Rosebud West. Um, we are literally like. So there's sort of Capel Sound on one on one side. We are officially Capel Sound, but Rosebud, because um, the Rosebud Bunnings is literally about five, six you know, stores away. Um, and then Bonio um, is just inland, just another couple of minutes. So, so yeah. we, we sort of, we're technically Capel Sound, but we just say it's Rosebud because nobody knows where Capel Sound is. And it's a strange little suburb that goes diagonally across to the bay. It's just really an odd place, so... I, yeah, I think I'd heard of it, but like I didn't have a didn't, uh, down there somewhere. It was like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so with, it's definitely Rosebud. Yeah, so with my marketing hat on, we're slowly rebranding to be Rosebud um, because more and more uh, anyone who's not familiar with uh, the um, the peninsula um, in particular, you know, probably Rosebud they may have heard of, Capital Sound not so much. Yeah. And if Bunnings is already you know pushing the boundary a bit, you just. <laughs> Betsy, yeah, some people navigate via post offices if you're old like me or maybe train stations. Young kids navigate by Bunnings. So, yeah, I can totally see how that works. <laughs> Give us a bit of a feel for when the venue's going. Normally, you know, you obviously are open some Thursday nights, but... Who's coming in? Is it locals? Is it tradies? Is it visitors? Just give us a bit of that buzz again for our friends in Thailand. What's it like when you've got 100 people in? Um, it's usually, it, it differs by day um, and it's up and down by day as well. So we, we get a mixture of tradies, uh, local businesses around here. Um, and then on the weekends, we tend to get more families. So we got, we got um, a lot of, like we had a basketball hoop out the front and a pool table and indoor lawn bowls and other games. So get a lot of kids coming in as well and sort of younger families, um, which is good. So we get a real mixture. And then we also, there's you know, quite a large population of elderly here. So we get some of those as well. And, and then we also get lots of people from Melbourne. So largely following Google and seeing brewery comes up and getting jumping off the freeway and driving in. So Yeah. They might be visiting some of the other tourist attractions in the area and yeah, Google brewery near me, or they might try uh, one of our beers at some of those 
um, other attractions or venues as well, and then you know come along to the tap room and and try some more. Mm. Yeah. The funny, funniest ones the um, the people we get from the hot springs, which is about a five minute drive away, both both lots, and and you can tell from when they walk in the door, you can tell that they've been there because they're walking really slowly and they talk really slowly. They're so chilled out, you can literally pick them as soon as they're walking in. Either that or Queenslanders. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thank you, Corey. I won't editorialise further on that. <laughs> Let's move on to the first beer. Let's not do our traditional Warren Wu thing of actually not having the beer in front of us when we're talking about it. We've got three fun beers from you guys lined up to talk about tonight. We've got six beers in our tasting pack. I think we've got a couple left in our online Shopify store. Is there a reason, uh, Russell, why you chose these three beers for us to have tonight and, and why the order before we even taste the first one? Um, yeah, so the, the three beers are, um, I think, for different reasons. They're probably my three favourites. Uh, we have eight, eight core beers. Um, we do some, obviously, seasonal ones, but we have eight core beers. They're probably my three favourites um, from a brewing point of view for different reasons. Uh, and also, I mean, two of them won bronze medals last year at the Avers, which is always always good. I'll let you know, it's hopefully not too bad beer. Um, but, yeah, they're definitely good for different reasons. So as we go through them, I suppose we'll, we can sort of kick apart the, the what's good, bad, and otherwise with them. But, yeah, that's, that's really the reason. I know there, um, there's two European styles. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of the European uh, beers. I just like that um, simplicity but complexity, I suppose. You, can, you don't need to – one of the best things that I, when I was sort of homebrewing and, and, um, and doing some courses and things, one of the best things anybody ever said to me was just keep things simple. You can, you can always add 55 different hops – but it, it's not necessarily 55 doesn't make it better. So I, I like that sort of theory that, you know, simple is good as long as it, you know, as long as it balances and it, and it tastes good and it's, it's, um, it meets what you're trying to do or the style you're trying to, trying to make. Um, I've, I've really loved the resurgence of lagers in the last few years. Um, uh, we'd get a lot of lagers from, and, Pilsners and however you want to categorise from from Europe, but you know they don't travel terribly well, and so you get used to this flavour. Mm. <clears throat> then you go over there, and it's like, oh, that's what it's supposed to taste like. And so now we're getting all these wonderful, talented brewers like yourself um, making that lovely, fresh lager. Um, yeah, getting that really good malt base, but that that nice aroma um, on the top. Uh, it it hides its 6.1 well. That must be where I'm getting this delicious mouthfeel. Um, yeah, I mean, most lagers are, are weighing in at, you know, mid fours, sometimes um, pushing five. Yeah. Is that a um, is that an intentional thing to, to have it at 6.1 or is it um, how it turned out and it ain't broke, don't fix it? No, definitely intentional. Um, I mean, the, the very Munich Lager is meant to be a fest beer, so it's meant to be I, – I, I take it for, for me and <laughs> Munich a few times, not during Oktoberfest, but I've been there other times, and I, I sort of take it – whenever I drink it, I think I should, be, I should be sitting in a beer hall and this is what I'd be drinking. So it is literally a fest beer for Oktoberfest, um, and they, they tend to be at that five-and-a-half to sort of six-and-a-half range. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was definitely intentional to make it around the six – Six point, um, but I agree. I, I think the sign of a good beer is that if it's got a higher alcohol, that you don't notice it. It should be nicely balanced. I think 
I had a, um, I won't say where from, but I had a had a beer at the um, Gabs Festival. It was, you know, in the teens, and it was almost undrinkable. It was that strong. It was just, it was alcohol for alcohol's sake. Whereas I think a nice strong beer is is good if it's balanced well. Um, and we make a variety. Like these ones happen to be a little bit higher in alcohol. These three, but I mean the other three in the pack are, are a lot lower. One's four, and one's five. Um, and we make a couple of other fours. So I, I do make a, a range of, of beers and that, but I, I do, you know, these are probably my favourites personally. So. Did you have one in particular you were shooting for that was, you know, particular inspiration? Right. You're doing, without, the, without the question sheet, Corey, you're, re- you're actually you're hitting your marks really well, can I say? <laughs> I, I've been for one or three of these before. <laughs> Do you mean for, for the in, this individual one or this beer? Yeah, or? yeah, 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 yeah. It's um, it's something that that Dave was sort of alluding to before. It's really good to get the journey of like how you got to where you are now and and the beers that inspired you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, probably. I mean, from the general brewing point of view, we we spent um, quite a long time in well, not a long time, a few weeks in in sort of the northern part of Europe. So through Denmark, um, Belgium, the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And we ended up, besides that, going and seeing other things like flowers and whatever else, we ended up going to a lot of breweries. And I had our kids with us at the time. And by the t- I think by about the fourth or fifth brewery, they were saying, oh, do we have to go to another brewery? It's like, but that's where I, I just love that, that environment there, especially in Belgium, a place like that, where you can go to a different town and you've got a different abbey brewery or, or, or monastery or whatever that's making a different beer. And the best thing is some of those places have got the beer running under the the ground so you got your water and your septic and all that and then the beer is also piped under the under the cobblestones which is you know, just an amazing amazing environment there and just the, the quality of the beer and and especially in um um i think just sort of between these styles that I, I do like the difference between the german sort of style my take on the german style is it's you know it's, it's in a nice box and it's they do it really well but it's in that box whereas the belgian style tends to be you know if it doesn't kill you it must be good and it's so uh, over time they you know <laughs> hundreds and hundreds and probably thousands of years, they've, they've thrown lots of things in and probably killed off a few people. But over that time, they, you know, they've really, really made a variety, a really wide variety of beer with a wide variety of ingredients. And, and I think that's, you know, can't argue with hundreds of years of R&D. Um, and were you brewing before you got your lease, like commercially? Were you gypsy or you, you started with your own... No, no. So he's just homebrew before that, but um, yeah, just started with her own. It was, I mean, it's sort of um, we we sort of tossed up the idea, but I was working um, sort of in corporate roles at that point. Both of us were at corporate roles at that point, and um, yeah, just didn't really have the ability to to, to start gypsy brewing or whatever at that point. So um, yeah, so we went from basically a little little system to twelve hundred liter system. We've got got now. so so. Because you know things do change from your homebrew recipes, but essentially all, all your beers are, are relatively recent. Um, yeah, they're. I mean, out of all the beers, there's probably there's probably only a couple that aren't. Like out of probably the eight, there's only one or two that weren't previously homebrew recipe that are just scaled up. Um, so I mean, they had a lot of pre pre sort of creation as a as a homebrew recipe, and I didn't actually find the scaling up too hard. It was more just the method was. You know, some things are much easier on a big system, and some things are harder. And you, you, you get—it's just different. Um, you get a lot of flexibility in a homebrew system that you can, especially with the heating. Whereas um, I have less ability to heat, say, stuff in the fermenter or, or other 
um, throughout the rest of the process at certain stages. But there's other you know, nice bits of kit there that, that you don't have as a home brewer as well. So, can, can I well, ask about that, particularly in terms of of the lager? Hmm. Is what's the difference between doing a lager, which I've always thought is that one of the hard ones to do as a home brewer, to actually having the right equipment? And if you were giving some advice, we'll ask this more generally later on about running a brewery, but particularly around lagers, if you were giving advice to home brewers, you know, what should people be doing? Yeah, um, yeah, lagers are one of those things that they always, everybody always says that they're actually a very simple thing to make because they're generally not so many ingredients, but they're very easy to cock up. Um, very, very, and they don't hide anything, whereas you can always throw hops at you know, beer with some faults and you can sort of cover over some of them. Um, the lagers, yeah, it, it's all about consistency. I mean, all, all brewing is about consistency, but the lagers really show it up. So, you know, the old, the old thing about sort of temperature and time and, and the amount, you know, doing things at the right time, the right um, um, sort of quantities is really essential and pH is probably the other one. So getting those sort of real basics consistent each time is, is, is a challenge. I mean, it's a challenge when you're home brewing to get a, if you make a nice beer and then make it again and make it again, obviously at the commercial level, that's what, yeah, that's what your bread and butter is. So um, getting that consistency is about just doing the same things each time. You get obviously little variations with some of your your ingredients, but um, generally, again, with a, with a lager, you're not, most of the time you're not dry hopping, so you're not adding a whole lot of hops, which tends to be the hops that have that variability sometimes. So in that way, the lager's a little bit easier. But, um, I mean, the, the good thing about lagers is they're, whilst they're slower to, to make and they, you know, they take an extra week or so to, to, to do at a commercial level, um, they, if, you, if you do all the right things, they do come out really, really good. And I, I just like making them because they, they just... Yeah, people like them, but they're just—it's one of those simple is, is is good, and if you end up with a nice product at the end, it's it's a really positive thing. Nicole, can I ask about your relationship with lagers? Uh, you've already given us a heads up that you've you've got the marketing hat on, yes. and we know that sometimes selling a lager isn't the easiest thing to do. So, first of all, is this a style that you like? And then, secondly, how do you go about selling this when you've got your marketing hat on? Yeah, um, so yes, it is a style that I like. And I guess, um, you know, working with and talking to a lot of, you know, retailers especially, um, you know, there are a lot of trends, um, you know, that come and go. Um, but certainly even, you know, early stages of last year, some of the, um, the people that I was speaking to were very much talking about lagers um, coming back into the fore uh, and that, you know, some of the more... Um, yeah, seasonal sort of, you know, trendy or how we, we might want to put it sort of beers um, were, were sort of not on the way out but, you know, sort of found their place but we're definitely so coming back to lagers. Uh, we've got two lagers, so this one that we're trying now, the, the Munich-style um, lager um, is, is one that builds on our um, – so our other lager is the Fort – um, Australian lager, so that's very much a dry, crisp sort of lager. This one's got bang, bangs a whole lot more malt in there, I guess. You know, it's just a bigger is how I would describe it. Um, and, you know, it's um, whether it be for a consumer here at our tap room or someone at a festival trying it or um, selling into wholesale at a venue or a bottle shop, it's uh, about selling partly that experience that Russ was talking about before so that, you know, when you taste this, you're going to feel, you know, this is what where you're going to feel like you are 
Uh, so that, you know, experience um, as well. And it's just for some who aren't necessarily uh, craft drinkers as well, uh, you, we're finding that they're, they're getting a little adventurous. So they're sort of moving from the Australian lager and um, giving this a go and, and sort of that's their next step. So, it's a bit uh, like a gateway beer. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's yeah. sort of, you can go start with the Australian lager, which is very much like a, every other Australian lager, but um, and then moving to this, and then they start moving to the Belgian. So we've had people yeah. down the road who are traditional lager drinkers just drink Carlton Draft or Great Northern or whatever it might be. Um, they started drinking Australian lager, and they moved to the Bavarian, and now they're drinking the Belgian. And mm. so they're on I a... was literally about to ask that. Like, are there sort of locals and others that you've sort of had along the way that have gone through that experience? Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely something that's there. I think the good thing about the Bavarian is it's a little different. So it's still a lager, but it's, a, it's just a little bit, it's got a little bit of its own um, difference, and, and people, you know, people like, like something a little bit different. I'm really disliking the fact that my glass is empty. <laughs> um, yeah, the whole of it. Yeah, that, that, that was absolutely superb. Yeah. It is a ripping beer. It really is. And you talk about going to Munich and places like that. I, it does take me back to some lovely beer gardens. I've never been there for Oktoberfest either, but just that sort of bigger, richer kind of beer. Is there a particular spot over there that you've been to that sort of brings this kind of beer to mind and then... Corey, feel free to pour yourself the Belgian and you can kick us off with that in 30 seconds or so time. Yeah. Um, oh, there's, uh, just all the beer halls. I just love the, 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 the architecture and the, and the different, even not the big beer halls, just the small little corner bars and things that are, that are there. And, um, but, I mean, the, one of the funniest ones, we, when we were travelling around uh, Munich many years ago, we, uh, is at the back of Munich, I think probably where the, all the parks are and I think where some of the Oktoberfest stuff goes on. We were wandering around there and there's, there's people, there's aqueducts through there, and there's people surfing on these aqueducts. So you're in the middle of continental Europe surfing on these aqueducts. Um, and then as you're walking down the path, there's all these people nude sunbaking as you do. So it's, 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 it's very open and it's... It's a university town. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's, uh, it's just like that whole area. It's just a great, great environment. It's a really special part of the world and, um, you know... We, we love it. Um, we can't wait to get back over there. One of my dreams is one day to be able to have some sort of tax write-off trip on behalf of the podcast to go back. This is a five-year enterprise to have one trip overseas that, you know, that we can write off on tax. Uh, Corey, why don't you do the opening of the Belgian? And um, I can't wait for this. This is a style of beer that I really like. But also, let's make sure that for people who've never had something like this before, and certainly some of our listeners I know will not have had this style before, let's talk about what we should be experiencing in the can and then what the sort of traits of this should be as a style. And um, welcome on board, Mr Custard. Yeah, so the Belgian, the Belgian is um, another one of those relatively simple ingredient beers. It doesn't have a massive um, sort of list in it, but... It should be the, the one thing that really changes about this Abbey sort of style beer is um, A, it's a bit higher in alcohol, and, and generally this sort of style of Golden Golden Strong Ale runs from about this is actually quite low, it usually runs from about seven and a bit through to just under 10%. Um, so I made it quite low just because people in Australia generally aren't used to that sort of heavier. I made it at nine percent, it knocks people's socks off. So, I mean, even, even here, we, we don't we sometimes. We won't, don't generally sell it in a, in a larger 
pint glass just because it is three standard drinks and we tell everybody that because we get people who come in driving along and I'm saying, well, if, you, if you're going to drink it, you're going to be here for two hours and not drinking much else. So um, it is a bit heavier. But what you should be noticing in this one is it's really, unlike most beers, you will notice the yeast. The yeast is the, really the driver in this beer, whereas, say, in the Munich-style lager, it's more about the malt. Um, and you know, the next one after that's a bit more about the hops. This one is largely about the yeast. So the yeast gives some of those esters um, and some of that sort of flavour. And, and generally you'll get, in most beers, those esters, you get that sort of fruity, sometimes a little bit banana-y, which generally in most beers is a, is a, is a fault. Um, whereas this one, it, that's what it's meant to be. It's not meant to be overpowering, but you will notice a little bit of that fruity sort of yeast sort of driven um, flavour in there. Um, which can be a little bit polarising. Some people find it initially a little bit off-putting if, if it is, you know, if they have come from something relatively simple or um, sort of a base, more basic beer. But it, I just think it's a, it's just a great beer just to, especially at home, I, I wouldn't drink it out too much because unless you're catching a taxi or an Uber or something. But it's a good beer at home and it's um, fun. I even remember one day, one day I was sitting watching the football and I uh, wasn't really concentrating on what I was drinking and I was, you know, to my second beer and I, sort of got up and suddenly realised it had hit me at that point. So I think it's one of those ones that sneaks up on you. The, the same, again, as I was saying before, that if, if you don't notice the alcohol, I think that's a good thing. It, you shouldn't be noticing too much of the alcohol. It should be just nicely balanced. Um, and if it does sneak up on you, then I think that's my job done. For, for people who are new to beer, um, uh, I think that both of these, the, the Munich um, style lager is is like very malt driven. You, you get that. Um, it's not like bags of malt, but it's like that's a beer that's that's got a malt base. Similarly, um, this one's very obviously yeast um, yeast driven. So yeah, I, I totally get that. Um, I do love the branding. Um, I, I I think we'll talk about the uh, the actual logo later. But you've got the um, the big what elk or deer or something on this one? Yeah, so this, yeah, so that's a, that deer is actually a photo we took when we were in in uh, in Belgium. Um, so that's a story where Nicole dragged us off. I can't think. I think we were. I think we were. Where were we staying at that point? It was in. Uh, we visited Bruges. We were at Bruges. Anyway, we were travelling around, and we we took a train and then a couple of trains and then a bus. And we were out in the middle of this forest, and I, I was sort of, it's one of those prizes. If you imagine watching a, a British or a European uh, detective sort of show and, and the mass murders happen, it's one of the problems like that. It was quiet. That wasn't what I was expecting you to say. Nothing, well, nothing happened that day that I'm aware of, but uh, it was one of those sort of forests that you expect, you know, that it could be a scene of a crime, and it was just beautiful. Like, there were literally... It's only, I think, a week of the year that they yeah. have these. I'm a good tourist. I'm one of those people that picks up a flyer or, you know, probably Google now as well, more so. But, um, you know, definitely. And so it was something that we hadn't hadn't even heard of, uh, this Halibos, um, uh forest uh, where the bluebells are literally out for yeah, a week or two. So, um, yeah, it wasn't the plan. And then we were literally sitting, eating lunch, facing in one direction, on a bench seat and happened to turn around and there was this um, statuesque, um, yeah, deer behind us. So um, it was... Wow. You, you paint the picture so well. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking of the trees, 
yeah. and the deer and the bluebells and the police line do not cross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the link between beauty and murder that I find <laughs> particularly you know, disturbing. Move it on it. Uh, um, and with these two beers, we, we just wanted to call them, uh, name them for what they are. We can probably later go into some, some of the um, reasons and na- behind some of the other names of some of our brews, but these two we just wanted to go with literally the Bavarian and the Belgian, you know, for um, exactly what, what they are and what they stand for. One of my um, little bugbears, and I totally get it from a brewing perspective, and sometimes you have to finish the artwork before the beer comes out and you're not entirely sure it's going to match. But, yeah, it, it is most annoying when what's on the tin is not exactly close to what's inside of it, and, and certainly for both of these, they're 100% um, what I was expecting out of them, although slightly better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think absolutely take that as the compliment that I know Corey means it as, like genuinely. So, because these are styles that we don't see much in Australia, particularly the Belgian is probably a style we don't see much in Australia. Does it sort of feel like you have a little bit of an extra responsibility because you've called it out for what it is? You haven't put some weird name on the front of it that, you know, doesn't refer to what's in the can, that you're representing a bit of a style here? And obviously, for the brewery overall, there's some of these styles coming through a bit. Um, yeah, I guess so. And what, what's nice too, we've actually had, you know, a number of people from, from both, um, you know, cultures come through, uh, you know, the tap room and, and uh, you know, give a nod and say, yes, yes, uh, you, you've um, definitely, you know, hit, uh, hit both of those on the mark. And, you know, I, I can expect to eat my... Um, fritz with my Belgian golden strong ale and, you know, like, yeah, so, um, you know, it's always nice to have people with that actual uh, background as well give that sort of nod, which is uh, great. Uh, I should absolutely ask, is there food available at the brewery or should people bring their own uh, small goods? We've got a full commercial kitchen, so we're serving what we call, I guess, beer-loving food, anything um, from stone-based pizzas through to burgers, fish and chips, um, and we have a local uh, grazing board, so we support a lot of other local businesses as well. So cheese, um, cheeses, dukkha, olive oil from other Mornington Peninsula producers, as well as um, a small a number of spirits and wines as well from other local producers. So only from, um, yeah. But the, other, the other important one is we have on the dessert menu a Belgian waffles. they're actually real belgian waffles see what i was really hoping for and don't take this the wrong way is that the local sort of grazing board would be a bunning sausage from next door cut up in a you know in a fancy fancy way let them have those sales so we can't detract from them (laughs) we have thought about about standing next to the bunnings uh the bunning sausage and handing out some beer but yeah (laughs) i could relate to um before when you were saying about um visiting a, not another brewery, mum and dad, with the, um, with your little one. I, I think there was about a five-year period where um, any time my partner and I were, were wanting to go to a brewery, it was essentially just curated by the ones that serve chips. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah if, if, they, if chips were not in the menu, we were not staying there. So Chips and lemonade. Ours went from drinking water to discovering lemonade. <laughs> 
pretty quickly. <laughs> yep. what, like what I find remarkable now that we've gone down this rabbit hole is that my son, who's 12, loves water and lemonade, but soda water, like bubbly, plain water, that's the anathema to him. It's the worst thing that could possibly have been imagined. So, you know, that bit I don't understand. We're joined now in the room, I should say, as well, having been wrong about Corey, having been the person who suggested that uh, you guys should be on the show. We're joined by Martin, who's there, very happy with himself because he was the man who suggested to have you on the show. And, uh, and Martin points out that not only is there pizzas and some great food down there, but there's cornhole. And that's one of those games that just I worry that I don't really understand. But it's a family-friendly game, yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... um. It's literally like throwing beanbags in a wooden board trying to get it in the hole. In the hole, yeah. I think it's an American, American. background thing. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. one of those things that does sound ruder than it actually is, David. <laughs> yeah. I would say. Yeah, someone commented on one of our social posts one day essentially like that, and I hadn't thought of it till then. But, um, yeah, but we've also got a, a free pool table, which a lot of venues, um, particularly post-pandemic, don't have. They've taken them all away, so we've... Um, got that, and I think Russ might have mentioned before, out, out, outdoors um, basketball ring for little kids and big kids alike. You know, people are out there playing that in the rain um, <laughs> sometimes. So, yeah, lots to do. Oh, indoor lawn bowls. Yeah. Indoor lawn bowls, and I know the Rosebud Lawn Bowls Club and others out there particularly well because they're far too good. And I, I, I'm not going to indulge in lawn bowls discussion for once on the podcast after 205 episodes. <laughs> no lawn bowls, no local government, no taxation chat tonight. That's my... Edit, edit that bit. <laughs> exactly. already said lawn bowls four times, David. Yeah, um, no. <laughs> um, so I, I was enjoying this straight out of the fridge and it was literally straight out of the fridge. I did have to run and grab it, but it's, um, it's really opening up now that the chill's coming off it. It's, um, this is glorious. Yeah, I had mine, I actually took mine out at the beginning of the podcast. And for people who don't understand what we mean by yeast esters and things like that, if you've never made bread at home, just by way of example, even if you have no desire to make bread at home, just putting some yeast with some flour and sugar and just letting it sit in your house, going down the pub and then coming home at the end of the night and smelling the smell in the air, it's an amazing sort of thing. Like Yeast just makes you salivate, I reckon. Yeah, definitely. Can we go back and perhaps start to unpick a little bit of the story we've heard about, you know, what it was like in Chapel Street in the early 2000s, and we now know you've got this grouse venue out there, but tell us a little bit of the story along the way. You know, where do we, how do we get from A to B? Were you sort of going off and exploring over in Europe with a bit of an intention to open a venue one day, guys, or to open a brewery, or was at that stage just fun tourism, where, uh, where do things get a bit serious? Yeah, I, I, can I, 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 feel, I feel like I planted the seed. Um, our daughter is coming out 18 in January, and I feel like I planted the seed in Russ's mind back then when we were visiting uh, another local brewery. And I think it just took him a, a while to a actually come come around to it. So, um, you know, and I guess we gathered a whole lot of other skills along the way in the corporate world. So whether it was sales and marketing for me, um, finance, change management, um, 
food production, you name it, for us. Um, yeah, I think that's probably, without you realising it, that's we look back and go, that's when it probably started. Mm. And so, so basically, Nicole, you're saying you're putting down the cards and Russ wasn't picking them up. Now, that's pretty, like, pretty much. mate, can I tell you, there's not too many wives in this world who are suggesting that you go and open a brewery and you didn't, you weren't getting the vibe? Uh, no, as I said, I'm a bit slow, so it took me, it took me a while and, and uh, yeah, we, we, uh, it, it was a sort of long progression and then even once we got into it, even longer than we, we probably would have hoped. And Maybe young children got in the way too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And in terms of change management strategies, Nicole, you sort of, I think, implied that maybe Russell was in charge of change management, but yet clearly you're the one who understood how to do family change management in terms of careers and so forth. Who's the change management expert? And isn't one of the key things in change management to slowly get people to, uh, you know, accept what they didn't think was going to be the outcome at the beginning of the process? Like, or is that Russell's area? Uh, it's, probably, it's, probably, it's probably, yeah, it's probably the, uh, the art of suggestion, I think, <laughs> maybe over time. Uh, yeah, it's it just, uh, I think it just, I don't know, it wasn't one of those things that really, we didn't really wake up one day and suddenly say, let's go open a brewery and, and go down to Bunnings and build a brewery. <laughs> it, I suppose it just, it progressed over time. And then we did get to a point where we thought, yeah, this is, this is what we want to do. And we had a you know, good business plan and all that sort of thing. Um, and there was a process there, but up to that point, it was it was probably just a, an idea in the back. And every time we'd go out somewhere, we'd try to beer or go to a different brewery. Or... So it was just a passion, really, that sort of kept growing and evolving and I guess then got to the point where it was like, uh, yeah, let's do this. And there were a number of years while we kept our corporate roles where no, nobody much apart from our teenage children knew and they kids actually keep secrets, we mm. discovered. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Your, yours might be the exception to the rule, but sure. <laughs> didn't want to, you know, um, didn't want to take away from any sort of um, me with my marketing hat on again, any sort of build up to um, opening or whatever as far as branding, although that all turned on its head when we literally opened the roller door open uh, one Friday night, uh, exactly a week after getting our final sign off from the uh, environmental health officer at the council when we were like kitchen bar tick 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 uh, and we literally just um, opened it up so yeah there was no long long market you were meant to do no. a long marketing plan and all this you know promotion and it was just because it was, it was the end of COVID we didn't know what was happening we didn't know whether we were going to be one week three weeks three months six months and yeah. it's been dragging on so long we literally just opened the roller door and looked out and saw who, who was around <laughs> I, when you were walking through that just then, I actually had in my mind it, like opening up the roller door. So it's so I'm so happy that you said it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it was so it was. Uh, it wasn't along with most of this setup. I suppose it wasn't a traditional way you do things. Just and that was largely you know, COVID related, but um, it was yeah. It, it, we got there eventually. Sorry, I distracted us off with my sneezing off mic then, I presume, but that's my, uh, that's my bad. I mean, just to go back a little bit before the rolling of the, of the roller door. Yeah. Was there that bit where you signed the lease or you did all those sorts of things? There must have been like that final bit of we're really in and we're 
really giving away a nice life in suits and doing whatever it was you were doing before? Yeah, I, disco- I discovered, so we'd looked at a few premises um, to try to find the right, you know, some had, um, call them, some had mezzanine levels, some, you know, some just didn't work for production and a tap room as well um, and turned up like hours too early one day for a kids' ten- tennis competition um, and had to lose a few hours uh, driving around. So I drove around a whole bunch of side streets and that's how we actually came across um, the premises. Um, yeah. Um, so in the, in the chat, we've got a question from Martin, um, your advocate while you're here. Um, can I say, Corey, Corey, can I say that I always find the questions insightful, not only because of what we get from our guests but also because sometimes the questions themselves give an insight into the questioner. But do go on. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and, and that is uh, why escape as a, um, as a name? What's, uh, what was the inspired? What are you escaping from? Yeah, so the escape, was got, it's got dual meaning, actually. So the first one was really yeah, escape from the corporate world uh, for both of us. Um, so that was sort of the, the first part. The second part was really the whole of the morning potential we sort of touched on before is an escape for people from Melbourne largely. So either tourists or people who I call them semi-residents who have beach houses or whatever down here. So, um, and that's, that's really the, the meaning behind it. So it was around you know, people escaping. So whether they, you know, and we talk about on the can about you might be escaping with or without. from or without or from your, from your, your friends and family. So um, it, yeah, that's sort of how yeah. the name came about. Yeah, so it's more like a, a positive play on the word escape, I guess, you know, about having having a little adventure um, and coming out and just, you know, trying trying something different, whether it's in the can or whether it's in the tap room or at someone else's venue or, um, yeah. Um, and I, I don't want to put the pressure on maybe, maybe not your second venue, maybe once you get to your third venue, you're going to have the huge um, uh-huh. hedge maze for the children uh-huh. to get lost in. Funny that you ask. There's a number of people come in and they expect, yeah, maybe um, an escape um, yeah, maze to be able to come in and that you have to enter. Other people have suggested maybe they have some drinks and then they need to find their way out. Um, a few people have suggested a mezzanine level, which would be extremely exy. So it definitely wouldn't be in this first venue yet. But, um, yeah, you know, watch this space. There's always, there's always things that we might do. Um, you know, to sort of link in with the escape brand. Or even uh, just the bathrooms only being accessible through a maze, just to add some real incentive. Well, we thought about maybe having yeah, having a way out where you've got to find your way out after having a few Belgians and see if you see how many people can get out. I, I was just thinking there's a there's a great many venues that I've struggled to find my way out and, and they just have a roller door. <laughs> Yeah, maybe don't need anything at all. Yeah, and you funny to say that we've got a roller door and we've also got a glass door next to it that opens. And when the glass, when the roller door is open, the number of people who don't walk in it but actually walk in the glass door next to it and open it is hysterical. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like standing gates without fences and make people go through the gate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's, there's something in there. There's a PhD in there for someone who has the time to do a PhD. I reckon. I just call it a decoy door. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so um, I think we're just about to take a break. Um, but, David, for those of us in the Zoom room here, you, there's something a little bit different about you tonight, and it's, it's around the head region. 
Is it's my haircut? Is that what you're saying, <laughs> mate? Is that why you're wearing the hat? Is is no. the is the haircut so woeful that you went out, um, designed a hat, ordered the hat, waited for them to come in, was was waylaid on the four hundred two just so that you can you can show it to us here in the Zoom room. Corey, in the words of a great man about an hour ago, no, you're wrong. I never designed... <laughs> 100 wrong. 100% wrong. I never designed this hat. I never ordered this hat. I had no idea that this hat existed until about an hour ago. Where our oh, wow. Very, yeah, genuinely. So our very good friend, uh, Mark, who is a regular contributor, but tonight has valued the world of Robbie Williams and seltzers over uh, the world of craft beer. Wait until he listens to the recorded version of this. We will, you'll be able to hear the screams from Seaford coming through. <laughs> our T-shirts, our hoodies and everything are ready to go. We're going to be out at the Williamstown Beer Festival on Saturday for the live show, distributing T-shirts and hoodies. And he made me a free hat. So... I had no idea the hat was coming. I'm excited. I love wearing it, and it's got me so much more respect as I walk through the streets. Nice. Here, I almost sounded genuine about some little on the way. um, A sample hat so that you order some hats now. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. But, Mark, talk about people who've been on board through all of the weird COVID experiences that we've all been through. Uh, Mark is one of our customers who has done exactly that. So a shout-out to Mark, a shout-out to... Uh, his uh, promotion company will f- link that in the podcast notes. And if you haven't got your T-shirt or hoodie for the cool room yet, do so. Corey, you've set up things very nicely there for us to press pause for a few moments so we can clean out our glasses and get ready for a delicious red IPA. Well, we're back here. It's Thursday night. We're in the Zoom room. We're enjoying some fantastic escape beers. We've been talking about all sorts of things during our little cool room break here in the live recording that will never go to air about escape rooms and how they should or should not be a family-friendly space to be in. Mr. Corey Boardman is joining me as my co-host. Mr. Martin Bowles may or may not help with that. And we have Russell and Nicole Matthews here with us and... Corey, we've got the red IPA in front of us now. So I was genuinely excited when I saw this in the six-pack and even more excited when I knew that it was going to be on the playlist tonight. Um, it's, it's one of those beers that's sort of been kicking around for a little time and we, we spoke a, a little bit earlier about, you know, things that are fashionable. Uh, the red IPA is very fashionable at the moment. Um, when did you decide to to do one, um, and and what were your um, inspirations? Uh, I think the the red IPA is actually probably the second beer I ever brewed as a home brewer. Um, mm. So uh, the first one was actually a Surf Tropical Ale, which was um, it's in the six pack. But yeah, this one. And it's, it's actually the first beer that I think you ever helped me brew one time as well, Nicole. Yep. Um, yeah, and it's I just I just I love it. It's it's it just um, it's got a lot of complexity to it um, as compared to the other ones. Um, but it, it's just it's, if you get it right, there's a whole lot of malt, there's a whole lot of hops and yeast going on, and it's it's the combination of all those. So I, I know when people come into the tap room, they they are sort of 
give it to them and they has a taster and, and sort of say, well, there's a lot going on because it, it does hit you first with a bit of the malt and then you get a bit of the hops and a little bit of bitterness. And it's, it's, um, it's definitely one of those beers that, you know, all the styles that if you can get them, get it working well, all three together, then you've got a great beer. It's also, you know, can be one that's quite difficult to, to, um, to, to get right as well if you end up with too much bitterness or too much too hoppy or too malty or, or whatever. So um, it, it's a, it, is a, it is a challenging beer to make. Um, it has a lot of, does have a lot of hops, but I always think it's one of those ones, I'm, personally, I'm not a massive fan of those extremely hopped um, beers. I think they, they need to be that really nice balance. Um, so this one does have a lot of hops in it, but it's it's not excessive, but it, it is that balance that, again, it's a bit like the alcohol we were talking about before. You, I think that things should be in, in nice sort of even balance and you shouldn't you shouldn't be excessively hit unless you really want to be by, you know, excessive hops or whatever, um, unless it's that style that, you know, get lots of citrus or something. But this one, you just want that balance. And I think that's that's where I'm sort of aiming to try and get to. And it's, you know, it gets, gets pretty close um, and you, you mentioned before about your, your branding and your naming. So this one is called The Sound. So I, I presume this is named after 1981, The Sound. I fondly remember Percounting the Beat and um, One Step Ahead and quite a few other. I wasn't the only one that got Corey, those compilations. Corey, these, people are, these, these are young people, Corey. Oh, oh <laughs> albums. Yes, yes, yes. The old albums. third. 1981, the sound was it, or 1982 with a bullet, or something like that. Yeah. With a bullet, 1983, the summer. Yep, we're all there. We're all we're all in the one thing. Um, but there's a there's a lovely bathing box on the um, the can on this. So I presume that we're talking about a watery area. As we were saying before, so we're essentially in Rosebud or, or the Capital Sound. So the sound comes from literally the, the suburb name um, and it's our home. So the little icon um, on the, the can together with the image in the background has got a beach box or a home, you know, so sort of it, it's, it's um, um, representing our home. Uh, so that's what this one is. And from a geographical point of view, it's actually the water that's directly, what, three or four k's down the road. Um, directly off Rosebud, there is that bit of bit of Port Phillip Bay there, that little sort of inlet in called Capital Sound. Yeah. And who does all your graphic design? Is it something you guys do yourselves under the many hats that you wear, or, or is it something you sort of have locals do? How does that all work? Yeah. So um, the the design is actually we get it externally designed, but it's actually it was my brother who did a lot of design. He dabbles in that. He's an industrial designer by trade, but he likes to do graphic design on the on the side. So. So he he did uh, the logo and, and yeah. most of the setup and Nicole's. I've got a pretty strong um, marketing, branding, and more importantly, product and labelling background. So um, yeah, a lot of the you know, briefing of that was totally up my alley. Something that I love. Um, so that's how that's that's all come about. Yeah. And what were your instructions like? Now, for people who have the can in front of them, what are the sort of the writing instructions you give when you sort yeah. of say? You know, this is what we want the can to look like, and this is why we think it will be good for getting into the market. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we had so uh, together with like Escape Brewing, so that the actual brand. Then um, I wanted to have um, so Morning to Peninsula is first and foremost up on the top of the can, um, and then some clear uh, colour identifiers to show the difference between the different beers. 
um, some of them relate to the um, you know style of beer that it is in this instance, the, the red coloured band at the bottom, um, and some of them like the tropical, uh, the surf tropical ale and the shore pale ale. They're more generic in their names, but that's about like the the blue of the water and the yellow of the sand, that sort of thing. Um, and then we wanted um, to, yeah to have some briefed in. And some sort of photography and little icons to be able to identify as well. And, and obviously you've got to have all those, um, bit of a detailed queen with labels. You've got to have all those things that you've got to have on the labels. So the, the ABV and, uh, you know, first and foremost smack bang on the front of the can somewhere, uh, together with all the information, you know, right down to, you know, pregnancy warnings, et cetera. So, you know, number and of- the 10 cents we can now do. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Which is now coming to play. Yeah. I'm getting. So many more cans that I can I can do that with than I thought I would. Well, you, you just need to wait because I've only just registered. <laughs> so you need to wait about two days until they process. Well, I was going to um, say, and, and leave enough room on the label to add some metals and things like that when they yes. come through. Absolutely. And, you know, we chose, it's fun when you get to choose, um, you know, the colour of the can, the colour of the... Um, uh, the Lid, not the lid. No, I'm trying to think what we call it now, but the top of the can. So we decided to go with a, you know, sort of nice, um, clear white can, but then the black on the top, and you know, just sort of that point of difference as well. You've got to think about, um, you know, what else is in those fridges wherever your beers are, and 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 how they may look different to those, and how they also come together uh, as a range as well. So that if you've got, you know, a couple of our beers lined up in a fridge, that they you know, they look like a, a family, I guess. Do you, do you um, prefer your beers to be presented alongside each other in a fridge or do you sort of have to think about them being almost by style? So, you know, if you're at Dan's, that's sort of a bit about, well, we're going to be up against a whole lot of things in the IPA section and then in a different space, a whole lot of things in the porter section. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, it's great if you can be, and in, certainly in our takeaway fridge, you know, on site, it's great if it's all... Um, together and, and showing, you know, the, the full range. Um, different retailers are obviously taking, you know, potentially a subset of those. And, yeah, you know, if it's uh, our mid-strength beer, pale ale wants to be in with the, mid, the mid-strength pale ales out, you know, like, it, definitely. So they're not always all um, together. But you've, um, you've done a, a brilliant job. It was part of the promise of this can, that red ribbony squiggly colour at the base and it's um it is that lovely you know rusty dark ambery reddish um thing and and again now the chill is coming off a little bit further it's really opening out and i'm i'm getting that malt but then there's um there's certainly the hops there to to balance it and and um make it a lot more moorish i think yeah. I completely agree. You, Corey, held this up to your sort of camera before. Uh, the colours of this, and it's no surprise. Everyone who listens to the podcast knows that, you know, reds and browns and black IPAs and things are some of my favourite styles. The hoppiness of this, there's still that resiny, piney goodness coming through over that malt base. I, this is gorgeous. Thank you. Thank you. We, I mean... So- Do a double. Do a double. <laughs> Now, we've got a few quick... We're going to see if we can coordinate our way through the miasma, which is the question list that I sent through to Corey earlier on. But for me, like, particularly about a beer like this, 
when you were sitting down, when you were thinking about opening the brewery, was this the kind of beer that you were imagining presenting out to the world? What challenges were you anticipating uh, when you were thinking about beers like this? And how's it been to present a red IPA, which is not a normal style? Um, what would you say to home brewers who were going, gee, I like making a red IPA at home. It's the second beer that I made at home, and now I want to go and make it commercially. How is that going to work? I think, um, yeah, I, I'd say probably, I mean, our, our journey was very long, um, uh, not necessarily by, by choice, but um, I think that moving from the homebrew to, the, um, to the, the commercial, I think, I mean, one of the things I always like doing, even in other, th- other facets of life, like cooking and so on, I like to make a variety of things. So I like to make beers that are, Quite broad, and a lot of people come in and say, "Well, what, you know, what's your what's your perfect style, or what's what are you known for?" And I sort of, I like making lots of different styles of beer because um, I, I like giving people options. And, and so I think I think one of the one of the takeouts for anybody wanting to move is to like from into a commercial area is to is to, to have that variability or have that. Um, uh, not just making one necessarily style. You can always you can always um, always be sort of you know, good at a style, but I think you need to give people, especially in a taproom environment um, or in a bottle shop, you need to give people different different choices. And we also say that you know we've got eight beers on tap or nine beers on tap, and you won't like them all necessarily. So you, you might like two or three. And I think there's because there's so many different facets. Of people, some people just like lager. Some people just like heavy IPAs. Some people just like dark dark beers. Um, so to give that sort of um, uh, that, those options, so I think if you're moving from the, the homebrew, I think you, you need to have that ability to make multiple different styles um, and, and consistently. And I think consistency is really the, the main thing. If you can make a homebrew consistently the same, and so that you know if you've got different batches that you can't really tell the difference, I think that is that is a key thing because. There's nothing that uh, people won't tell you that, like, they'll, they'll come in and tell you if, if this batch tastes different to the last one. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, we've had uh, we've had one one time where I couldn't get some supply of, of a certain type of malt, and I had to switch on one batch, um, not in these ones, but in another beer, and I had some locals come in and just say, they didn't mind it, but they said it's different. And I said, well, yeah, I know it's different. Couldn't get, couldn't get a supply, so, but... That's, that consistency is something people are looking for. So if they, they pick up the red IPA now and then they pick it up next year, they want the same, the same flavour. Um, and particularly, I suppose, commercially commercially as well, if people are looking to move from home brewing into um, a commercial venture and they're particularly looking at moving to package, um, you can only be within 0.03 or something percent of the ABV of your beer. So... Um, from from batch to batch, so you know, unless you get that consistency down pat, you're never going to be able to. You might be able to um, sell by kegs and into you know places where they're changing the percentage every time you send them something. But um, if you're going to get into a can, that's the sort of um, restrictions that you're working with. Yeah. Does the does the volume and the size of your kit help with that to to you know have that level of consistency? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I mean, yeah, we're making a thousand liters or so at a time, um, but I think yeah, from batch to batch, you're still going to have that consistency. Um, I don't. I think the the equipment. I think most home brewers have 
you know, nowadays have equipment that is really, you know, if you buy a $800 system or whatever, you, you can you can make any beers and you can make them well. There's, there's, it's, it's more about the process. Um, having you know, an expensive bit of stainless doesn't help with that consistency. Um, but yeah, you, you're obviously just making, if, you, if it's not consistent, you're making a whole lot more beer and it's costing you a whole lot more. And I've got to say as well, to go back to your previous point about that consistency, as a venue owner, rather than someone who was brewing in their own space, for people who are listening and trying to imagine what it would be like to own a brewery and sell beers in kegs to venues, it is so important for consistency because if I've got 10 taps running and I don't have that sort of thing of going, oh, well, I, the hops have changed and so I can explain it because I'm brewing it myself, but it's just like, oh, I don't know why it's not the same as last time. That's when you lose uh, both punters at a venue and then eventually venue owners because we can't sort of keep up to speed with every story about every beer along the way. The, my next question is sort of going to pick up on that a bit. Maybe it's going to be a, a little bit of equipment. Maybe it's going to be something that uh, helps you be consistent. Or maybe it's a completely different little gimmick you'd like to have in the brewery. We've spoken to huge breweries. We've spoken to small breweries. Every brewer we speak to uh, wants to have the next little, next little tool, the next little gadget. What would be the next thing you'd like to have as a, as a little uh, tool to use in the brewery? Is there something you're hanging out for? Yeah, I think probably not such a little tool. Uh, but for us, the... the Centr centrifuge, that's large. Yeah. No, more just the canning side of it. I think being able to... The, probably the one bugbear that I find now is that our whole production is around... Because we have external canners coming. Who are amazing. Yep. Really, really good. But we can only get them once every month or two months. So all our production is around getting it ready for that, that canning run. So, um, which isn't necessarily the most efficient way or the most effective way of doing, uh, of scheduling your brews. Yeah. Uh, and we, end, we end up with times where I've got right now, like we've got a, brew, a canning run next Tuesday. I've got both, well, I've got four fermenters all full. I've also had to can, I had to keg out another two batches because I've got another two, but I had to keg them out, I had to take them out of the kegs and back into the cans, which is you know, multiple handling. Um, so that, that whole, Part, having a canning, being able to have do the canning when I want to do it at the most efficient, and then rescheduling would be would be the the aim. I mean, and external canning is expensive. Canning, getting things into a into a can is um, just the canning itself and the labelling is. You know, we, we don't make a lot of money on on cans. Not a, and, and without going into all the gory d details, how achievable is getting your own canning line, or is that sort of something that? you know, is a two or five year plan kind of investment. Um, yeah, it's one of those things. I've, I've talked to different breweries um, and seen different options, different breweries. You, you can obviously buy cheaper, cheaper end um, systems. The difference is the A, you have, you'll end up with a lot more labour to do it. So uh, we, we get external canners in and we do about five and a half, seven thousand cans um, in about three or four hours, which is yeah, quite amazing. Um, but if you've got a two head Annual process, you might be making, you might spend all day, and you might get forty cases. Out of you, can, you can sometimes find cheaper systems from other brewers that have used it for nine months and don't want to kill each other, and mm -hmm. so we're trying to move it on. Yeah, exactly, exactly. 
Um, yeah. So I've, I've heard some of the, some of those stories where they thought they were doing a good thing, but either the labour the labour component of it just, or, or even um, one of the other ones I was hearing the other day was just around the, the consistency of the canning, like they just you know, too much oxygen in it, or or it wasn't sealing, or the labour wasn't going on, whatever it might be. Just that that consistency, and that that affects your brand out. When you, you know, you're selling it out there, so it's one of those things. You got something against brown neepers. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't didn't hear that. Yeah, I'll just ask if you have something against brown neepers. Brown neepers. Yeah. yeah. Things just, that shouldn't be brown that become brown. Things that shouldn't be brown at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and, a, and, like, like the old uh, the sour beer that everything's sour after a, a point because you didn't really mean it. <laughs> And, look, yeah, I, I haven't done a shout-out to sort of previous episodes, but go back to the last episode and listen to Avenge Brewing to hear about, you know, when Nipahs aren't canned properly, and there's a really honest conversation about that. And also go back to batch brewing, and I find this is not advice to you guys, but we had a fascinating conversation with Batch just about what you would invest in and invest in properly as a brewery if you had your time over. So if you're that sort of middle rank brewery, you know, what would you have spent more money on rather than just slowly upgrading and selling off bit by bit? I think there was a really great conversation there. But Corey, you're going to continue us on with some uh, conversations about the beer in front of us. Yeah, you you mentioned uh, uh, talking about the beer in front. I was going to move to the next question. My apologies. Sure, don't do that. Absolutely. All I'd say about the, the current one is just, I'm already halfway through it, and I, I wish I had another three. Um, I'm, I'm very much enjoying this. I can see why there's a nice medal in its uh, top right corner of its can. Um, no, I was going to um, ask about um, a little bit about your future. We do love a little cool room exclusive, so if it's cool with you, what, what have you got brewing at the moment? Um, what what's new or if it's you know sticking with your core and there's nothing wrong with that because everything we've had so far has been so splendid um what where would you like to head are there are there styles that you'd like to have a go at yeah sure i mean one of the things we do eight four beers which is actually quite a lot um it's a it's a lot to keep in kegs and cans um and that's i know i get i get that feedback out out in um yeah, Tradestown all the time. Eight. <laughs> yeah. uh, which came about because we weren't going to can or keg a, a, a lager. It was just going to be something over the bar, but um, the basically uh, the Australian lager. But so many of the customers insisted that they needed to take it away and it needed to um, go into other venues. So that's how that became an extra. And then the lovely Bavarian Munich style that you've tried, um, that was a um, Oktoberfest last year, so 2022 was just going to be a limited edition and it just became popular enough that that stuck around. So, um, yeah, again, with my marketing hat on, we've probably got too many core beers, but I, I guess the beauty is we've got, probably Russ was about to say, we've got 10 taps. One is a local cider that um, we buy in from another local producer, which leaves us with one tap that uh, Russ enjoys rotating limited editions on. So mm. there'll be... So I've got a next next one probably is like a Nipah or something like that. Um, I'm I'm sort of thinking called a Sepa or something like Southeast Australian 
IPA, um, try and get some Australian sort of hops in it. Uh, that's sort of planned. I mean, the other one that's, that's uh, people keep asking me to do again, well, I did a um, amber ale, so a little bit like the red one, but a bit lighter and a bit more ambery, um, but um, uh, whiskey oak. So sanitised in whiskey, and I did a couple of kegs of that, and um, that was really popular. And people uh, people have keep coming back and saying, have you, have you got that on again or whatever? And I've, but, you know, I'll probably have to do that and maybe even do a quick canning run at some stage. But it's um, I just probably this time of year, especially down here when you know we, we would we would probably sell you know, half our volume in the next two months for the year. Um, it's really a head down bum up trying to get the eight eight ready to roll. Yeah, look, totally understand that. I I spent a um quite a bit of time in my twenties in Safety Beach, so I I know that you know Mornington Safety Beach, Macrae, Rosebud, it it just goes off. What's what if we come and visit over summer? What can we expect um, if we come and visit Escape? Um, yeah, so you'll get as well as I don't think we mentioned as well as uh, you know inside and some of the rotating views that we'll have. We've also got um, outdoors, so we've got um, a, a nice sort of outdoor area, a bunch of picnic tables, um, as we were talking about before, dog friendly. So um, you know, there's lots of uh, yeah, you can bring you know lots of the family um, and friends. Um, we're likely to pop last January. We had a, a comedy show on, I think, that was, was Limo. Yeah, Limo, I think we had in, um, in we've the had, end last We've year. had a few over the year. We've had Dual Look. We've had um, Dave O'Neill. Dave O'Neill. So we'll probably have another coming up um, uh, sometime in January. Um, but just, yeah, more of the... Um, more of the seasonal beers flowing and uh, more of the probably keep adding to our games that we have as well. Yeah. Nice. So, um, and those events will be on your socials, no doubt? Yep, yep, on our socials or on our website um, and Google. We always keep, so I suppose first things first at the moment, we're only open largely on Friday, Saturday, Sundays. We already do trivia and bingo on some Thursday nights. Um but we going you know, from about middle of December, we'll be um, opening up pretty much six days a week right through uh, the summer is, period. Is it a friendly trivia or a, or a angry, pretty angry um, competitive trivia? Because I Corey, do. Corey, like... I can see you looking at me, even though we're on Zoom, when you say angry trivia. <laughs> I love an angry trivia. Ah, okay. Um. I don't know. It's a, a whole lot of fun. It's, the correct answer is friendly trivia, just until you get them in at least. Yeah. Corey, I think, is this the first time you've ever asked a traditional cool room question in anger? I, th- I think it might be. And and I, I feel as though, I don't know, I need to stand up and, and do something. This is this is quite momentous. So the, the traditional cool room question comes from this astounding history of people sharing with us what they have seen in a cool room or a cool room-like environs. Behind the curtain. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little bit of a, an understanding of what, what the punter who's, who's frequenting the establishment may not see. Um, and... Generally, it's talking about other um, 
are the places where people have worked in the past when it comes to things like, you know, um, fruits and vegetables that should have not been there three or four months ago, um, massive mould growths. Um, Flagrant disregard of OH&S rules. Yeah, but, like, there can be also be, you know, um, fornicating um, workers, um, a very large shark. Mm. Um, so, so there's there's no right or wrong answer to this. What What is the most confronting, weird, humorous, uh, downright vile, doesn't really matter, thing that you... You can relate when we say about the term cool room. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I know there's uh, I've had a, I've had another issue with a cooling issue um, here. I um, I came um, came in one day after uh, after doing a brew the previous day, and so the the uh, the glycol system was running and. Um, Came in, and normally when you walk in the door here, you can um, you can usually either smell or hear the the, the fermentation occurring, so the bubbling away occurring. And uh, I remember walking in the door and thinking, "What? What's going on? That's not a good sound." And uh, I walked in and, and found that the the glycol system had actually uh, locked locked itself open, and instead of oh. twenty degrees where it should have been for the ale. It was uh, at about six, and it literally had nothing happened. All I'd done is added the yeast the night before, gone home, and it's dropped down to six degrees. So then I sat there and contemplated for a, for a little while because um, the, the, I mean the option going back to consistency, you, got, you know, at that point everything's sealed. You know, you should be relatively everything should be relatively safe, but that is the the, the risky time when um, when beer goes. You know, it can get bacteria or, or, or whatever and goes off. Or even just a different flavour, even if it hasn't... Yeah, yeah. It, it, even, yeah, even if it's not a bad beer, it can just change it. So at that point, I, um, I sort of thought, well, what can I do? It's not, I, can't, I, can't, I can't actually heat this fermenter. I don't have any heating on the fermenter. So then I took the, the game thing of actually... I had to pump it back into the kettle, heat it up ever so gently without burning it. Then I had to... Add, like warm it up, then transfer it back. So it was again open to the air again, which is not not ideal. Send it back to the uh, fermenter, add some more yeast again because I don't know what happened. I actually let it go for a bit. And I think I just only added a little bit and hope hope that nothing had been added. And I didn't end up with a sour beer, or otherwise I would have had the ninth core core range. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. <laughs> And, and a really laborious way of making core range beer. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of those ones where you're not making a beer to a style, you're just finding a style for the beer. <laughs> um, so, yes, and luckily it, um, nothing happened. It, it, the next day I came in, it actually, I think it was later that afternoon, it actually started to, to bubble away and I, suddenly my heart rate dropped down a bit and everything was, was good. Um, but, yeah, that actually does remind me of another, another story of, of things that can go wrong in a brewery. Um, in front of everybody. So obviously we we have you can't if you're listening you can't see it, but we have a tap room which is you can visible to the brewery. So one Sunday afternoon it was a little bit quiet in the tap room, and I decided to do a uh, uh, a dry hop. 
And uh, I was probably, it was on a Sunday. We usually had, don't come into the brewery on Mondays. You usually try and take Mondays off. So I really probably should have done it on Monday or maybe. Which is the addition of literally dry hops into. The, yeah, yeah. So just literally. So generally you add hops at two stages in the, in the brewing process. You generally add it in the, in the kettle when it's boiling and you add that. And that largely adds some aroma, but mostly the bitterness. When you're adding it and the fermentation or towards the end of the fermentation generally, um, it gives you an aroma and some bit more flavour, but no bitterness at that point. Um, so anyway, I was doing this, and it was probably a day early, and I was pushing a little bit. It was um, it was actually a chocolate porter, and um, I, so I opened up the lid, and you know, it looked fine. It's a little bit higher than I probably wanted, but it looked fine. So I started pouring in. The chocolate porter had a fair bit of dry hop in it. I poured the the hops in, and um, and uh, yeah, and then suddenly a bit like um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, it all started. Overflowing, and there's there's a few people in the brewery watching watching it away, <laughs> on, trying to manly put the lid back on, and uh, looking very calm and, and whatever. And Nicole's looking at me, going, "What is going on over there?" And uh, yeah, so it's one of the things I try not to do is do any any uh, any particular brewing or, or adjustments when people are in the tap room. But um, yeah, she hadn't learned that lesson. That's a couple a times. It's um, it's when you understand. Oh, sorry, Nicole. Yeah, you I go. Was say going back to um, Corey's um, question about the traditional cool room question as well. Um, I thought you might have said finding me in there cooling down on a forty degree day. Just you know, on those days we've got fans now, so for anybody who's listening and going to come down over summer or whatever, it's great we've got fans. But there were a few hairy days there where we probably needed them and didn't. <laughs> Them and I just needed to cool down, so a few minutes in the course. It's, it's pretty common if it's a hot, a hot summer day and someone's on a break. They're going to cool room. Yeah. It's one of those funny things that the cool room is is a really, really interesting place because during winter, no employee wants to go in there, but during summer, suddenly it's it's the place to be. It's the the hip meeting place for everybody. Yeah. Well, even more than that, it's like you know where the boss is in the organisation because the boss is at the front during winter and in the cool room during summer. That's how, that's how it works. Yeah, absolutely right. With, with your glycol story, um, I, I had a, um, a concern that that would have turned out to be the best beer you'd ever made. And so you would have had to have tried to replicate that, you know, called it serendipity, but, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those yeah, it's one of those double edged swords because if it turned out real, if it turned out differently but really really well, then you go well I can never that's make fine. it again. Yeah, it's, it's, that's I mean that's that's generally what you do when you're homebrewing. You sort of throw things in, don't necessarily document, and you, you end up with it. But um, I remember another homebrewer telling me one story one day that he made the best beer ever, and he had no idea how he did it, and he tried to do it again, and then it was the worst beer ever. So you know, the documentation it makes. And consistency, documentation gives you that consistency. One of my favourite beers of all time was um, an Emerson's Dunedin Brown Ale. Um, but it was not like I'd ever had before. And um, we were over there, and we were actually chatting to, to Richard Emerson, and he said, oh, when was this? And I explained when it was. He said, oh, yeah, I, I don't know how I did that one. <laughs> And I've tried to replicate it for years. Well, it's a bit like the joke in podcasting that all of the best podcasts, and I've done this before with my professional wrestling podcast, our very best episodes, we didn't click record or we did something bad and we muffed it all up and they are lost to history. 
I'm not going to make that mistake this time around. We're going to allow one audience question and one audience question only, and it is from our friend Martin, who introduced us as a podcast to Escape Brewing. Martin, ask your question, please. Then we're going to wrap things up and sit round. You've whetted my appetite, team, with that discussion of the porter. So that's what I'm going to have once we've stopped recording. So you mentioned, uh, you know, I know where you are. I've been there. It's great. You know, it's a nice summer location. You've got one spare tap. Um, I'm a Sours fan. Um, how can you be a summer brewery and not do a sour? Where does a sour sit inside your next, uh, you know, project? Yeah, uh, sours are one of those ones that I've never, never been happy making. Like never been, never happy with the output of making it. Um, uh, it's, I suppose it's, it's one of those things that's, it's, I'm not a massive sour fan, so it's one of those ones that I, I, it's not an easy one for me to make. Um, and I, I, that's what I found is I haven't been happy with anything that's, that's come out that I'd want to put out commercially at this point. Um, I might, I think what I'll probably do is make a small batch, just a little batch. Um, maybe I might even have time to make it before summer if I can get around to it. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things that I, I think I'd still like to do a few times on a small small scale before I, I ramped up to a commercial level and, and made a thousand litres of something that you know maybe I, maybe I like and nobody else does or vice versa. Well, if you need someone to come down and help taste to see if it's got commerciality, feel free to give me a call. I'll, uh, I'll be down whenever you need. So uh, and I'll do it free too. I'm nice like that. Yeah, that's, that's one of those jobs in the, uh, in the brewery that's like, is it, Everybody asks, is there, a, is there a tasting job? <laughs> Look, let's wrap things up there. Nicole, Russell, thank you so much for your time tonight. Remind us where we can find you for people who've, uh, who've battled on to this part of the podcast. Tell us the socials and tell us the physical address. So, yes, we're, we're in Suffolk Street in Rosebud or Capital Sound, so just at the end of the uh, Mornington Peninsula Freeway. Near the Bunnings. New Bunnings, behind Bunnings, so get a sausage and come for beer. Um, yeah, so our, our socials, uh, Facebook is escape.beerau and our Instagram is escape.beer. Um, and yeah, our website is escape.beer as well. Which is a fantastic handle to have as a, you know, as a web address. We've been talking about that in the chat. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Corey, thank you for your co-hosting duties tonight. You've stepped admirably up to the mark there. Martin, thank you for introducing ourselves to Escape Brewing. And we're going to press stop on the record, but that won't stop us having some pleasant beers here on a Thursday night. Make sure you stick around. We're at Williamstown Beer Festival this Saturday. Then we've got Maddock Brewing, uh, Champion Small Brewing uh, Brewery from Queensland uh, coming up next week. And then Adroit Theory from Virginia in the USA. Uh, some magnificent beers. I think we've got about four six-packs left. If you want to be part of that, then now is the time to head to our Shopify. Thank you, everyone, for joining us live in the Thursday night Zoom room. And I will press pause right now. 